Mike Tamano Happening. of us who have been in the outdoor industry on the periphery or either headlong into it you've always been an inspiration so uh, it's a pleasure to uh to make your acquaintance again my friend well i appreciate that man really it's uh i started doing this when i was i just turned 19 years old and um i blinked and here we are Isn't you know so- and uh it's just really cool and such a challenging market of ever-changing media to still be out there doing it and doing it um, for reasons that I hope are the right ones. Yeah, well, you, your reasons are indeed the right ones because, uh, as we've noted many times, that you are not only an expert and a diehard fisherman, hunter, outdoorsman, nature lover, but you bring it to the kids so often, and that's what's important. I want to talk about how your career has grown what you're sure. doing now with uh, with your, your calling in life and also um, with your career. So you have written Sports Afield, I know Sport Fishing, editor-in-chief of Texas Fishing Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been a broadcaster for many years on Texas radio, deer and deer hunting. So I mean, just dozens and dozens of articles. So when you talk about that, you go back to the childhood of Chester Moore. When did nature first take hold of you and how did it do it? I don't have a timeline where nature wasn't in my life. I mean, as early as I can remember were memories of like, you know, fishing with my dad when I was maybe four years old. Um, and I, I was always just obsessed with wildlife. I mean, even if you took the hunting and fishing element out, which has been, you know, paramount in it, I still just loved wildlife. So it was fishing and hunting with my dad, looking at those magazines like Sports of Field or Field and Stream. And I remember getting in touch with you at Texas Fishing Game for an article I was doing. And I remember talking to your colleagues and them telling me how enamored you were with the world of flounder. Yeah. Yeah. That's been something that was what really got me to the level, the next level of my career was that um, I was really into that and there weren't a lot of people that were writing about it. And I just went gung ho with it and wrote a book and uh, kind of become something I was really known with in the Gulf Coast. And the flounder opened a lot of doors for me. So I still love flounder. I still love the flounder fish. And uh, that's something that'll always be with me. Your collaboration with Eric Adams was something that came out of left field, and it was really, really successful. It, you produced a really cool DVD, Wildlife, Wild Times, and you, you were telling me uh, before we started, you keep in touch with uh, with our boy Eric. Yeah, Eric's one of my my closest friends. Uh, you know, I met him in a Man of War concert because I'm a fan. Right. And uh, before I did an interview with him, uh, a buddy of mine at the time, he was a newspaper reporter. We kind of created a website to uh, to interview rock stars that we like, you know, and I ended up going to meet Man of War. And before I ever interviewed Eric, I said, hey, man, I heard that you, you bow hunt. And he pulls a turkey call out of his bag <laughs> in a hotel lobby and starts blowing on it. And uh, I brought I was in a band at the time, and I brought my guitar, guitar player with me. And he literally leans over and goes, <laughs> dude. And uh, 
that began an adventure that was this award-winning wildlife and wild times dvd that was put out on magic circle music and i got to go to germany with man of war and promote it and uh he still comes and hunts and fishes down here sometimes and about every four or five years i'll go up to new york yeah chester moore is with us and uh today on the mike tomato happening we're going to talk to someone who has been writing producing broadcasting and singing from the mountaintop about the great outdoors and it's not only hunting and fishing you have this uh fascination with creatures i know you you know a lot about big cats uh yeah so we're going to go through some of the uh great adventures that you've had uh what you specialize in what you are still learning about because that's what i i get guys like you and like okay i could talk to you about flounder all day and i'll walk out of this room ten thousand times better of a flounder fisherman than i ever was the only time i fished for flounder was in new jersey mm-hmm. with dean ween from the band ween uh mickey melchiando and oh, wow. there was a strange regulation like they had to be over 14 inches but under 18 it was some weird stipulation limit yeah yeah it's very strange i call it the thump you know like you feel this really hard thump but uh like a thump we call it the thump and when the thump happens you know there's action gonna happen yeah you gotta be ready for it yeah it's fun man and uh I think up there, you guys probably have southern flounder down here. Uh, I think you have what's called a summer flounder up there. So, uh, you know, basically the same fish, just kind of like a subspecies. Yeah, very bizarre. One of those one of those things we're not used to seeing because you think of fish, you think of a, a way a fish looks, and they are definitely not the way a fish looks. I yeah. mean, they're born with uh, their eyes just like a normal fish, and they both then they eventually migrate to one side of the body. So the whole process is bizarre that is bizarre yeah it's one of those animals that morphs its shape and that's the more you delve into nature and you know this more than anybody the more you're going to find things that just blow your mind you know what blows my mind are brine shrimp you know when we were kids we'd see sea monkeys advertised in the back of comic books and they were just brine shrimp and here's an animal a creature that lives in suspended animation until it gets to water. How bizarre is that? It's really weird. There's always things in nature like that you'll see and just blow your mind. I think that's part of my endless fascination with it. It's like, you know, I've been doing a lot of wild sheep, which is a real passion of mine. And my wife Lisa and I were in Colorado last year, and we had four mega bighorn sheep about 50 yards from us, and I'm shooting these photos, and the one ram looks really nervous, and I think, He's about to bolt, but the only way to get out is over us or up that big 15-foot-tall bluff. Mm. And the sheep looked over and ran and jumped straight up, and I got photos of it. And, you know, I mean, it, it was unbelievable literally watching an animal make a 12- to 15-foot jump up, and, yeah. like, it was nothing. There's always something in nature that's captivating, exciting, and mysterious. Yeah. You know, you talk about sheep, and I know they're a great passion of yours, I was in Colorado and I saw uncanny leaps and bounds like you're talking about of yep. of sheep where they would be on from my observation on the road taking pictures it looked as though they were on a on a level wall but they could yeah. scale it as if it were a staircase and and then you get closer and you're like how could they possibly they're defying gravity it's just it's absolutely stunning yeah, man, the Lord did some cool stuff with wildlife and wild yes. sheep. Like that. 
out in the world are, are always mind-boggling, you know, because you're like, man, I would die looking at that, much less trying to climb up it. Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah. Guys you, are like it's no problem. When I first met you, we talked hunting and fishing. And yep. over the years, I've kept in touch, you know, Facebook. And, and that, the nice thing about Facebook is people that you don't see all the time, you can still keep in touch and say God bless sure. and hello and happy birthday. And But um, you've had a journey of faith. And, and I've noticed that more in recent years uh, being stated. I don't know how long you've been a Christian or how that came into your life. But I'd like you to, uh, I, I know you're no, uh, you don't shy away from talking about it. So tell me about how you came to faith. Well, thanks for asking about that. You know, I, I gave my life to Christ at a vacation Bible school when I was nine. But like a lot of people, I just walked from it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm like our mutual friend, Ted Nugent. I've never done a drug. I've never been drunk, but I played in metal bands for eight years. I was kind of like a unicorn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was living for me. You know, and um, at ni- uh, 19 years ago this year at a Striper concert, uh, at the end of their set, Michael Sweet, the singer, stood up in this nightclub and said, I believed in him, but now I really accepted and followed him. And then uh, 14 years ago, uh, me and my wife adopted our beautiful daughter from China. Mm. And my daughter uh, was supposed to have cerebral palsy. She was 16 pounds at two years old, couldn't walk, couldn't talk took her home, had hands laid on her and watched her stand up and walk. Uh, And when that happened, that transformed a believer to a follower because I will never compare myself to the Apostle Paul, but he had a moment when he was going to Damascus, Syria. He was an enemy of the church to, to, to harass Christians and persecute them when he ran to the risen Christ. And honestly, that moment and seeing that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace cared enough about a little girl that meant statistically nothing to the world to get involved in her life like that. I said, it's game on now. There's no, there's no turning back. You know, you're at vacation Bible school as a kid. I think there's a, uh, there's a type of believer that's passive. And then there's the active believer and, and the, yeah. the person who's, who says, you know, yeah, you know, we go to church on Easter and, and Christmas yeah. and, and grandma likes to say the rosary around Lent. And that's fine. I believe me. I, of when it comes to faith, I, I, and no one struggles more than I do. That's why I'm ex- inspired by people like you because uh, the devotion and the not, not looking back aspect of it is, is very inspiring because uh, I look at the world and I say, well, it, without without faith, there's no hope. And yeah, that's, it, that's the ticket. If someone were to say, what does Christ bring to your life? It would be one word and one word would really stand out and that is hope. Yeah. Because what I tell people is that you can look out there because the best we have to offer in America is the best place to live is if you're really talented, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're athletic, we love you. But yeah. if you're not, we throw you in the trash heap. Or... If you're like that and then you lose that ability, we forget about you. And, and, and his love is the antithesis of that, which is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him will not perish, but have an everlasting life. And so I want other people to experience that. And uh, it's funny because I'm like the least religious guy, like like the American church wouldn't select Chester Moore to be its representative, but they don't get a vote. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and here's the thing, the, the message of the Bible and Christ, which is universal. I mean, it touches on all the major religions. They've all, you know, touched upon him. What he put forth 
and what the Bible has. When people talk about their individual relationships with God, I, I think you've touched on that. It's, it's, it's only about you and, and, and your Lord. And, and I think that's an important aspect of it that people miss out because I don't always enjoy going to church because I'm a private person, if that makes sense to you. And in and, and church, for me, has become clingy in the past when I've tried to attend churches. And mm-hmm. and so these are things I wrestle with. And so, you know, that's why you, with your fervor and your commitment, it's, it's inspiring me. So I just want you to know that. Well, man, you know, I appreciate that because I'm like everyone else, man. I struggle with, you know, fate sometimes, certainly struggle with this crazy world that's growing darker by the second. And... <laughs> um so that's the reason we're out there doing it, even to the point of teaching young people that are struggling with like terminal illness or parental loss and, and things like that to get involved with wildlife conservation to help find hope in their life. And that has been an incredible journey in its, in its own right. Yeah. So here's Chester Moore. You grew up ever since you were, uh, you know, your late teens, you're writing articles about fish and hunting and animals and conservation projects. You're getting awards left and right, you know. Uh, for your work because you are just gung-ho because that's the kind of guy you are, whether it's playing music in a, in a band or, or chasing after goats on a ranch. So here's a guy who uh, comes to Christ uh, 20 years ago, 19 years ago, and you say, okay, well, I'm a nature nut. I love children and I want to give them hope. Let's mix them all together. And so, so let's talk about what you've done with that and how they've manifested really interesting was 10 years ago i started uh, our church our children's pastor uh had me come in once a month about th- about 13 years ago 14 years ago and bring animals like i, I didn't have exotic animals so i would go catch like local snakes and mm. you know turtle stuff and whatever and i would bring my bow out and show kids how to shoot archery and stuff and uh and then um, the, the, the Holy Spirit kind of moved on my heart to start writing curriculum. And I, and I taught curriculum about creation and God's role in it. And then the, the, the presence of so many children that were struggling with so many dark things came. And we found out that kids related to animals. So 10 years ago, me and my wife founded the Kingdom Zoo Wildlife Center. Yeah. Me and Lisa. And um, that is two main programs. One you know, we, we go to foster group homes a lot. We do uh, bring animals, we'll cater a meal, bring animals, do animal presentations with exotic animals. And then we have a friend with a critical illness or loss of a parent or a sibling. And we granted our 170th of those wishes yesterday. We have higher calling wildlife. And that is some of the teens in the program and others that we're teaching how to use media and social media to raise awareness to wildlife conservation. We've done everything from taking boys on fly fishing expedition trips for Guadalupe bass, which are a Texas only species, to taking a girl to capture desert bighorns, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, have a great relationship with Texas Parks and Wildlife and the National Wild Turkey Federation, letting kids go on Eastern wild turkey releases when birds are brought in from out of state. So cool. a lot of stuff, man. Yeah, is it, you know, the National Wild Turkey Federation, the stuff that they, and I know you've been involved with them forever. I, I first, I mean, I have always been a supporter of them because I support all of the conservation groups that are doing sure. great work. But when you see them do those turkey releases and then they follow up to check on the population, it's like, this is amazing. This is really conservation at its finest. 
it's incredible, man. And we've got to do, I think we've had four different kids get to go on those things. And we've also have a private biologist in Texas who works with TPWD. He's let us go and bring kids on one of Turkey Release with his program. And it's cool and freeing to see a kid who's been struggling with things that make them feel not so free in life. Take that box. Mm-hmm. Turkey in it that was in Maine the day before and help restore eastern turkeys to the eastern fringe of Texas and see that bird fly out. And yeah. we had a girl, her, her name was Rihanna Holloway, and we took her on our first expedition was a desert bighorn capture with Texas Parks and Wildlife. And that's like the the apex of any of these wildlife restoration things, these sheep things. And she got to put the GPS collar on the biggest <laughs> ram of the day. She'll never forget that. And uh, what's really cool, we won an award for the video we produced. So we run up with the Texas Outdoor Rider Association this year. And um, Rihanna is now a senior at Texas Tech pursuing wildlife management degree. Well, look at that. That's how you do that, my friend. Yeah, we're real proud of Rhee. And she uh, she has cystic fibrosis. That's how she connected with us. And uh, she's doing wonderful. And it's just a way to help kids and young people find hope, but also benefit wildlife. And uh, it's, that part is like so fun. And I have a bunch of cool stuff up my sleeve that we're working on some other projects. Uh, it's a win, uh, win, win. Yeah, man, it's great. And it's, it's so fun. And um, I've worked with kids since I was a kid. I was 19, 20 years old doing little reptile presentations for local elementaries. And um, to be able to do it and then do it and still be like, you know, world's recognized for it 30 years in yeah. is a product of basically the grace of the Lord and a relentless work ethic. You know, <laughs> you know yeah, like- amen. Amen. We have, uh, we have a camp in honor of my late father that we oh, do. Wow. It'll be our 11th year this year because when he died you know i had long moved out of the house so uh i knew that he helped kids at the club when we were kids we lived in the south side of chicago so every weekend my father would take my friends and i fishing camping hiking whatever when he died i see all these kids from all walks of life at his wake and they're saying oh your father bought my brother and i a tent and my mother took us camping or your dad took us fishing or, and so I said, well, let's keep this alive. And you know, you were talking about the changes. We, we bring in kids every year from the inner city who have never, they've never seen a forest preserve, let alone the hundreds of acres we bring them to for the camp. And you know, it takes hold. So Chester Moore, you were talking about, you know, when you see kids that, uh, ask for a wild wish and you grant those wishes what are some of the wishes that they ask for because i want to talk about this charity that you're doing and then i wanted to uh make sure people know how to get in touch with you so what, what were some of the interesting ones that you've had well you know the main thing that we do is we have a collection of uh, 40 exotic small animals here at our facility in uh the orange texas area and and most of the kids now go through this encounter with us and our animals and it's mind-blowing but sometimes you'll have a kid that wants something very specific we just did um the elephant encounter uh for a young lady uh out in uh, fredericksburg texas and that was incredible um we have uh done sea turtle encounters uh oh, we took, yeah we took a young lady uh doing a cage dive in a shark tank in an aquarium, which was awesome. Uh, that was last summer. She loved sharks. She got a close-up look at sharks in a safe in a safe way because we were in a shark cage. Um, we've done everything from uh, wolf encounters to um, baby. A kid got to play with baby mountain lion cubs. Uh, 
you know, we've done just, it's been amazing to see uh, sloth encounters mm. uh, and just a lot of neat stuff. And no matter what the kid's going through, when they get to get up close to something like that, it's, uh, it's life-changing because what happens is, Mike, we'll have a moment where there's a trauma in our life and in, in our subconscious, what happens is, um, and it's probably a spiritual battle too, but it, it tells us that, hey, life will never get better than before that happened. Mm. This is a way to let kids know that life can still be good. And that's really the message. Amen. And how can people get in touch with Wild Wishes? So they can go through uh, KingdomZoo.com. They can go through Kingdom Zoo Wildlife Center on Facebook, uh, wildwishes.org, all of the above, and uh, different ways to connect with us. All right. Okay. I got to, before we go on, I want to, I want to get into the deep stuff. You know, we've been talking, this has been a great interview. Chester Moore, you're always, I mean, I could just sit and talk to you forever. Uh, a big regret so far in my life. I haven't shared a campfire with you, but I will rectify that someday soon. Let's do that. Yeah. And you have, now I've hunted, uh, I've had the, the privilege of hunting Texas. There's no place on earth like it because when I went to Texas, this was 2018, the hunt some ranches and I love the glassing of the animals. And then, you know, you, the, the spot and stalk. I mean, that's so exciting. But you, I'm driving down, you know, a road in Texas, and I see a zebra dancing across <laughs> someone's field, or you'll see a, a a kudu on someone's lawn. It's it's just insane what goes on in Texas. You know, the exotic animal thing here is wild. We took two boys on one of our Wild Wishes expeditions uh, three years ago, and I slammed on the brakes near Barksdale, Texas, and I said, "Boys." No matter what anyone ever tells you they saw on the side of the road anywhere in America, you have the ultimate game topper. And there were two tapers. There, there were two, two, two tapers? Yeah, there were two tapers on the side of the road out of this guy's place. They weren't to hunt. They were just part of this collection. But the guy also had Kudu and Sable and uh, Dama Gazelle. <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty amazing. And um, the the it's... It's fascinating, and one of the great conservation triumphs of that, that animals like black buck antelope from India and Pakistan yes. have been sent back to those nations yes. because of hunting ranches here, and they provide great sport. There's some problems with some of the exotics, and Audad are causing problems for our native bighorns in West Texas, and we got to get a hold on some of that. But uh, it's been an interesting ride, and once you especially get in the central part of the state, Mm -hmm. You never know what you're going to see cross the road. No, you never do. I saw a zebra and I, I thought maybe I'd been driving too long. Maybe I needed to pull over <laughs> and take a rest, but it blew my mind. And, uh, you know, you talk about the, the introduced species there. There's a lot of odd ad in addicts antelope, which people don't even know from India. There's they're only in Texas now. I think they've been poached uh, completely in their native country. Well, we have like, you know, scimitar horned oryx and uh, other animals like that that are uh, that there's problems with overseas to the level of extirpation, some of the range and things like that. And it's just really interesting to see how it works. Not a perfect system, but it, what it does is it does allow for um, like an arc, so to speak, over here in the Lone Star State. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no place like it. And you've always been a Texan, correct? Yeah, my whole life. I mean, honestly, if I had the money right now, I would go live in the mountains of Colorado, uh, have a maybe have a winter home here. Uh, I love the mountains, and I love the stream fishing and the elk and the moose and the bighorn and all that. But yeah. I'm returning to Colorado here in a few weeks. But uh, 
also I just love one thing I love about Texas is the freedom and the attitude and um, don't tread on me kind of vibe here you know yeah and people are so nice in Texas I, I mean, got a great story about that so I'm in Redding California about 10 years ago getting gas I'm a visitor <laughs> friend of mine, right? and I and I go pay the clerk you know because the, the thing wouldn't work outside I, you know and, and I said she gave me my change back and I said thank you she goes you must be from Texas I said my accent she goes no <laughs> You said no one else says thank you. You said thank you. God bless. That, isn't that something? Isn't that something? <laughs> well, we, we've talked with Chester Moore about um, coming up as an outdoor journalist, your yep. call to a higher calling, uh, both figuratively yep. and literally, and yep. what you've done with children. But I got to I gotta pick your, your brain on something because Uh-oh. I have hunted on ranches across America, and occasionally yeah. I'll take a Corsican ram, the exotics that, that are on certain yeah, the ranches. ones I can afford to hunt. Yeah, yeah, you exactly, exactly, right. <laughs> so when you say, okay, we take a wild, well, the, the, my safari is is a summertime wild boar and ram hunt. Okay, so I have tried a number of ways to prepare. Now I have had I've had sausage made from Corsican rams and Hawaiian sausage rams. Great, the sausage is good, but. Is there a way? Because guys, you know, I, I don't like to shoot something unless it's you know unless it's a predator that you're kind of trying to eradicate from hurting you know the population of uh, ducks yep. or whatever. But I'm not talking about predator hunting. When you kill something that's a game animal, I don't I don't hunt for horns. I hunt for the freezer. So how do you prepare Corsican so ram? Here's what you do when you kill like an exotic type sheep, which are way different than you know true wild sheep, but uh. Um, what you do is you get it mixed with 30% beef, get all of it ground up and make burgers. Make burgers. Okay. And we just get about 30% uh, beef uh, mixed in with it and it makes great burgers. Yeah. It gives it a rich flavor without being overpowering. Now, because it's, you know, most of that meat's pretty lean. So you get just a regular, not like, you know, the, the low fat beef, kind of a regular beef, uh, you know, and ground beef, mix it in there and make burgers and it's great. Okay. All right. Now, see, I knew I'd get, I knew I'd get there from you because you've eaten everything. And, yeah, I'll uh, be not- <laughs> <laughs> And another thing, like with wild boar, what I'll do, I'll try to shoot a sow or a small one. Yeah. Uh, but if I do shoot a big nasty boar, I have found that uh, quartering them and putting a level of ice with some uh, some lemon juice and some apple cider vinegar and letting them sit there for three or four days in the cooler. And just let it get slushy, you know, in, in there. What do they call it? An ice slurry when it kind of becomes ice and water. And mm-hmm. I, I found that that takes any of the stench out from the kitchen cook. What do you think? Uh, that kind of thing does help. For example, like if you catch a shark and we only harvest like black tip or small and sharp nose sharks that are very abundant and release anything else. But uh, sharks have a huge liver and it toxifies if it takes too long and makes the meat funky. So we'll we'll bleed it and then we'll marinate the meat in milk. So kind of the same principle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Kind of let it sit in something. Yeah. 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 Well, you and I share an affinity for music and film. So I, I, we, we do a thing called the uh, Desert Island Pick. So you're going to an island. You're going to you're gonna hunt your sheep and your wild boar and fish, all the streams. But you got to bring three albums and three films because you're going to be there for a while. Oh, wow. Three albums and three films. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is tough. So it's going to be a diverse album set. It's going to be Iced Earth Horror Show. Oh, okay. Um, good. Yeah. Iced Earth, which is a... Uh, 
epic metal yeah. band. Horror show is a great yeah. one because they put all your horror films to. to It'll movie. be Manowar live hell on stage because it has bulk of their catalog on it. All right. Uh, it'll be Striper, uh, No More Hell to Pay album, came out in 2012, incredible album. Yeah. Uh, and what was the other thing I needed? It was an album and what else? And three movies. Oh, this is where it gets hard. So I can't do a whole franchise. So we're going to go with The Godfather. Okay. Tombstone. Yep. And uh, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Very diverse. See, that's the real. Thing. I, I have a Darth Vader tattoo. So you do? Okay. I'm a mega Star Wars fan my entire life. And uh, so I have, a, I have a Darth Vader tattoo and a creature from the Black Lagoon tattoo and a great white shark. So I'm just, I'm all about diversity. Yes. And well, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon, one of my favorite movies. And uh, yeah, so I got to know Ben Chapman, who did all the above water scenes for the movie in his latter years and my band did a project where he did like a cool narration for our CD for us and cool. uh, so that was awesome man and, uh, and, and I'm who, always about childhood dreams come true and that was one of those fun ones yeah who did the underwater Rico what was his name Rico uh, Browning I Rico Browning Rico, I have his uh, autograph somewhere around here that my uh, my partner on the air brought for me I'll tell you what man his work and that underwater stuff what it was is Ben's a lot bigger so out of water, you had the you know big hulking kind of guy, but Rico was this next level swimmer. And Rico also, by the way, did the work in Flipper, our series. So is uh, that right? I interviewed him on my radio show like 19 years ago or something. So, so look, you talk about having a niche. So they say, okay, we need a guy to put a costume on and swim underwater very athletically. Let's call Rico. He had that. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. had that. He had that gig. That was his. Yeah, it was really cool. He even worked on one of the Bond movies, the one where they had the big tiger shark attacking somebody. He was the diver that handled the shark in the movie. So they're really behind the scenes. So, you know, you want a niche, man? You, you, we can in America at least uh, for the next five minutes may may expire to that. There's still enough freedom to do stuff like that. Ain't that the truth? Is you know that could be. A, and I want you to come on one day, and I want to I want to talk deeper about your. Uh, your faith and how it applies to today in, in society, but, but we'll save that for another. Yeah. Cause that'll be another couple hours we'll spend, but I will tell you this. I have been inspired by your writings. Uh, your tips are always spot on and your endless dedication to nature, wildlife and conservation is uh, is a true inspiration. You you've, you've kept me afloat in times when I've said, I can't do this fight anymore because it is a fight sometimes. It, it really is. And I want to, I want to thank you for that because it's just that desperation to want to see it there, to think that there might be a, a mountain without a sheep. And thank God we got great groups like the Wild Sheep Foundation or the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society or the forest without the gobble of a turkey. Thank God for the National Wild Turkey Federation. Mm -hmm. Or a seagrass flat without permit tarpon and bonefish. Thank God for the bonefish and tarpon trust. Or, uh, you know, a, a flat in Texas without redfish. Thank God for CCA. So there's, there's dedicated people out there. And what I think I have been able to do is I have been able to stay focused and inspired on it. And even in a fishing how-to article, ingrain ways that people can connect and help and keep it going. Because, man, I don't need any other reason for it to exist other than the fact that I know it's there that mm -hmm. means I can still go pursue it and uh, you know it's just this beautiful thing that we had this opportunity our, our mutual friend Ted Nugent talked about this that we can go hunt and fish in America recreationally mm -hmm. is 
mega. That doesn't happen in a whole lot of places in the world, especially the hunting end of stuff. So that we can celebrate this, keep the resources moving forward. If I can be a voice for that and still do this, and I'm just getting started here. You know, uh, we got our highercalling.net, my blog. I hope people go subscribe to that and keep up what we call it the inspirational voice of wildlife conservation. And we're going to move forward and we're going to inspire people. And a lot of times, Mike, my inspirational stuff is me trying to stay inspired myself. Yeah, yeah. It's tough out there. So if you see me put a quote out there, usually it's for Chester Moore first. You know what I mean? (laughs) I gotcha. You know, that's why I write and contact my legislated officials yeah. and my elected officials because it's for me, you know? And when I see the apathetic response where someone says, oh, what is your what is your letter gonna do? What is your email gonna do? And I said, but see, that's, that's why nothing gets done because maybe my one, my one email isn't gonna do anything, but if there were 10,000 of them, you could rest assured that something would be done and and for the better. And I think the apathy, especially in the, the outdoors collective hunting, fishing, trapping, anglers, uh, rafters, canoers, whatever the apathy they have towards legislation that gets passed willy nilly, you know, and and a lot of that stuff gets passed because uh, Chester, you know, this, they don't even look at it. It's like, Hey, could you sign this? And that's it. They're done because no one else got to them ahead of time. That's why it's important to have groups like the Houston Safari Club Foundation I'm a member of or Safari Club International have lobbyists out there to to contend with these things because there's so much, not only at the federal level, but the but the state level and in bureaucracies that get written mm-hmm. in. It's a constant barrage of craziness and uh, the demographics are not shifting in favor of wildlife and uh, a lot of things going to be going on. I, I'm, I'm going to make a prediction here. Uh, my prediction is something I've been unfortunately seeing. I call it the great American wildlife conflict that we are about to see begin. It's already begun, but it give it five years, an unbelievable number of conflicts between humans and animals. as Our population goes deeper into the forests and the mountains and the swamps and wildlife populations increase. Mm. And there will be people that before were very anti hunting. We're all of a sudden going to go, Oh, we might need to kill a few of those bears. And bulls. <laughs> those, uh, those joggers that are getting eaten on their jog in California by uh, mountain lions. Yes. Texas, it's hogs. You know, um, oh, you know, God. we got, we've had a fatal hog attack two years ago and a couple of other non-fatal since then. And so a lot of crazy things going on. This conflict is going to rise. And at the epic drought that we're currently having, which is the, which is the story the corporate wildlife media is not telling you the drought that's happening in half of America right now is catastrophic. And, uh, that will only drive more wildlife into areas. Uh, I mean, they're they're having they're having to drop water out of helicopters in the Nevada desert to give bighorns and mule deer water right now. Uh, so, mm-hmm. a lot of crazy stuff going on, and that's why we got to be at the forefront of it. And I think people need to know they can be empowered to be a voice for this. And I tell you what, I'll make a challenge anyone listening: if you um, take up a cause of some conservation or hunter rights or whatever you're, you're kind of bent toward and get involved. I challenge you to do this because you will have more joy doing that than actually hunting, fishing, or backpacking. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Once you get involved and you know that you're making a difference, boy, that that's really, and that's in everything in life. When you, yeah, you know, sure. when people get into something uh, for the right reason, it's because they know they can make a difference. They can make a positive impact on, on someone and a cause and move it forward in the right direction. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Boy, you've been, you've been around this block a few times. You've thought about these things a lot, haven't you? Yeah, I, you know, like, so me and my wife, when she's sitting right here, we'll be driving down somewhere down the highways and byways, and I'll have, like, this crazy radical idea about whatever. She's like, oh, great, he's going to do it. Yeah. You know? Just, <laughs> we're going to be do doing it. this in a year. This will happen. Yeah. Uh, because I, I just know how wonderful and beautiful it is, and um, I know I've had an impact. I mean, that that's pretty incredible. I mean, uh, to still be doing this 30 years and picking up five awards for – and the thing about the awards I won the other night at the press club, here is that those were in the mainstream media i was the only outdoors person there and those were written for conservation stories one on wild turkey two broadcast on wild sheep and other stuff so it's a matter of kind of going into some even those mainstream channels and mm-hmm. saying hey God, we the hunter fisher conservationists are leading the, the pack here and why don't you come join us in using your media voice to show what's really going on and who's doing the conservation work out there. And who's doing the real work. You know, that's interesting you say that. Michael Waddell tells a story. Michael Waddell, for those who don't know, is a he's a big outdoor television guy. He's very entertaining, and, uh, and he has a good heart. And uh, But the thing Michael said is when he first got hired, this is before there were specific outdoor channels, you know, when there was versus yeah. channel and stuff like that. There was the outdoor channel. <laughs> yeah, there was the, yeah. And he would go to these Hollywood parties and there would be people from MTV and such there. And they would look down upon him. And he, and he yeah. said at first he was just a teenage kid. He felt bad because he, he never knew anything, but living in Georgia and doing, you know, the outdoor thing, everybody did it. And to see it, frowned upon and then he went to a video editing class and and had the same thing happen there where people would walk out because he would show his work which was you know gutting a deer or whatever on video and editing it and he said the turning point in his life was when he realized you don't you don't defend you promote it and you never ever apologize for it and then he he said from that moment on he was gonna he there was no doubt in his mind we were the good people we were the ones who we're doing it for the right reasons. And so I think as I'm listening to you speak, okay, and I've, again, I've known you for a while and with your passion and your intelligence, I couldn't see, let's say there was legislation being passed in any state USA yeah. and Chester Moore shows up to say, no, we actually need this to uh, continue. We need to hunt this animal and it's going to be for the benefit of the animal. And an animal rights activist shows up to argue their side. I can't imagine anybody being more well-equipped with facts and more passionate and believable than a, someone like you. So, Well, the it, first hate mail I ever got was early. I was 19. <laughs> I was writing for the Lamar University Student Press, uh, and it was an animal rights person. I wrote an article about how hunters had helped bring back um, the deer in East Texas and were doing wild, early wild turkey conservation and stuff. And I get the scathing hate letter that they gave to the, you know, the teacher. And, and I'll read this and I replied back in the publication that, hey, you know, uh, it said that, you know, it was okay if you had to, this is entertaining almost, if you have to kill to eat, but everybody else should be able to go to the grocery store and buy their meat. And I did provide them with the fact that those animals at the grocery store died too. Uh, 
and that the hundreds of millions of dollars that came from even just the hunting excise. So I gave the whole spiel. Sure. And the next year I turned on TV and the lady that had accused me was being arrested for animal cruelty. Yeah. Yeah, that literally it? happened. That was an early lesson in this. So, yeah. but my, you know, Mike, even though I don't look at people necessarily as enemies so they don't hunt or fish. I mean, I get no, no not at all. I get that. But the ones who are militant and uh, want to eliminate because they want to eliminate zoological facilities, pets, you know, animal testing, oh, sure. you name it. But my, my main thing is this. My goal is always to light a candle instead of curse the darkness. Let's mm. show the light of truth and positive moving forward instead of always being combative like you know you said michael waddell said like promote instead of defend kind of that same idea i'm, I'm out there in that dark outdoors realm shining shining a light instead of cursing the darkness yeah of course yeah and and you know and i think sometimes pr- people project an inner conflict on emotions that they can attach to things like animal rights or you know what what their pronoun is or you know, all this bizarre stuff that goes on in the world that is anti-science, anti-nature, anti-reality, I think it's a projection of some inner conflict that needs something to cling on to. And, and I think, that, again, that's a, another conversation for another time because I could delve into that with you. But, um, yeah, it, people like you on our side is a good thing, you know? And well, I appreciate that. I'm glad someone thinks so. <laughs> I write, I listen, I write letters every single day. I keep in touch with my elected employees because I don't call them elected officials because they're not in charge of my life. They work for me. I think we've lost that. And another thing, when I was listening to you talk about, you know, explaining this to people, how many times you heard this? You shouldn't hunt, yada, yada, yada. Just let nature run its course or nature will take care of itself. The fact that mankind has removed himself from being part of nature is a bizarre okay. statement, you know? I yeah, am you know, part it's, of nature. It's funny because I had a friend of mine who uh, who had a, a, a facility, and they had, you know, different animals and things at their facility, but she wasn't a hunter. And uh, we had a discussion about a news story where a mountain lion had showed up on a kindergarten uh, playground several times, and there was a controversy over what to do. I said, it's a really simple solution here. 30-odd six, crosshairs behind the shoulder, squeeze the trigger. And, um, and <laughs> that's it. And and uh, she was like, I can't believe you say that. The mountain lion was here first. And I said, so your house is on mountain lion habitat. No, it's no longer mountain lion habitat. So if a mountain lion shows up in your yard, wants to reclaim it by eating you for breakfast, you're going to let him kill you? I yeah, said, right. I love wildlife. I'll be the first to defend. I'll be the first to go if we're doing something like maybe killing too many mountain lions and it's not scientifically feasible. Say, hey, wait a second, fish and game department. Let's maybe look at this. Let's let's do it the right scientific way. However, no matter if there's 400,000 mountain lions, which they're orange, or four, if there is a predator that's going to hurt and kill a child, the predator dies. Right. It's simple as that. Common sense. So, you got to look at some common sense stuff with this stuff. People come first, uh, but you have to find a way to let wildlife make a way. And we've done a good job at that. No system is perfect, but we have here in North America called the North American model of conservation is working better than anything, anything anywhere else in the globe is. Yeah. Yeah. And you were talking about, you know, hunting is, is afforded to us as a, as a recreation in America, which is unique yeah. because it's either in most countries, it's either reserved for the rich or banned yep. completely, and uh, yeah, yeah, like if you're if you're in places, you know, some of the African nations and stuff, I and mean, people like places like Congo. I mean, there are dudes out there with spears 
literally having to get dinner, you know? Yeah. And then you got Europe, which pretty much is only the elite. And, you know, we're kind of in the middle in America. Hunting prices are way too much, and that's a whole separate show. But yeah. we still have the opportunity to go out there and pursue this, whether it's small game or whatever we're doing, it pretty much any income level. And uh, that's a great benefit, not only for the wildlife that benefits from all the conservation money that goes in that, but also humanity because people are still staying. There's there's a difference between liking nature and being a consumptive user of nature. Mm -hmm. you, I think you even appreciate it more if you're a consumptive user of nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, once you participate, you will find that the creation that is that is a gift to us is something to be participated in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you. I want to have you on again. I wanted to give people give, give people an overview of Chester more because uh, I'm good gonna luck. Have you... I can't give myself an overview of me half the time. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, I want to do a show on faith with you. Okay. Awesome. Because yeah, you're, because you're a guy like me, uh, you know, you're down to earth cat, and and you know, there's some people in the world of faith in in people who they, they become ascetic where where it's hard to speak to them on a on a street level where you say you know yeah. man this doesn't yeah. ring true with me i don't know i read this and it kind of but I, I want you just a normal guy to sit and talk with my audience about your walk with faith i want to let so in another couple months yeah, uh, let's make sure we do that it would be an honor and a privilege to talk about that. Yeah. It interested me because I waver, you know, and I, and I fight and I, I wrestle with myself and sometimes I don't want to be part of any congregation or any group that I, I'm afraid of group think, you know, which I'm not saying faith is group think, but don't worry. There's just as much group think in the outdoors industry. <laughs> and, you know, there's everywhere. Yeah. So you you kind of want to think things out yourself. I get it. I, well, that's a good thing about it. It's relate. you know, look at it as a relationship. And that's the thing. I think a lot of us have to have that journey of figuring out our, our faith for ourselves. you know, and, yeah. and you know what, the being able to go out in the great outdoors is a great place to kind of reinforce that faith because you have that time to clear your head, you know? Yeah. There's something about the woods or the water that for me, there, there's a sense of belonging longing and not just yeah. me as an individual the whole world like create the this oh this is what it's all about this is this is the real reason for this place you know and so uh, yeah those spiritual moments that you have and it's hard to watch a sunrise or a sunset it's like god flips on a switch when the birds start chirping and the sun rises all of a sudden and you're in the woods and watching it come to life it's hard to diminish something bigger than us. You know, it's, it's hard. You to, know, it's, it, it, you're right. It's that, it's that moment where like, there's a, there's a flip switched out there and it, <laughs> everything becomes alive, you know? Yeah. And it's like, they're and all in tune. Like they've all called each other and here we go. Yeah. It's funny you say that because like, so I'm out in the woods about a month ago and these beautiful chorus of coyotes sound, there must've been seven or eight of them in different directions calling out. And, and just instinctively being like the old horror movie fan, I go, children of the night, what music they make. They're doing the Dracula thing. And I'm going, man, I'm weird. I'm here, I'm quoting Jesus, I'm quoting Bela Lugosi's Dracula. But, uh, you know, it's never ending excitement and smiles. Oh, and, yeah. And great things. And that's, you know, Mike, just you and I connected over the phone here. You know, we're bonded over this thing to where we go out in something greater than us, you know, that we're going out in this beautiful a canvas, whether it's a it's a swamp, a prairie, a forest, a mountain, a desert. There's a place where we can kind of do this almost artistic pursuit of wildlife. Yeah. And 
in our own canvas, so to speak. And I just, I'm endlessly fascinated by that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. From fish to sheep and everything in between. I have learned so much from you. And because you don't, you don't just say, oh, that's neat. Let me read something on you. Let me research it. You delve in. I, who was the, uh, who was the guy I talked to from Texas fishing game? Uh, he was so, he was making fun of you so much. He goes, oh, don't get more started on flounder. What was his name? Probably Don Zidel. Don Zidel, bless his heart. I had him on my program, yes. And he said, I said, so you have the pleasure of working with my friend Chester Moore. And he said, oh, don't get that kid going on flounder, man. There's something, <laughs> he goes, he's touched with flounder. There's something wrong with it with flounder. But yeah, yeah. He, I would always we'd always harass each other about that. He'd be talking about animals eating someone. He was fat. He was like morbidly fascinated with animal attacks, which yeah. I like. It's kind of interesting too. And I'd be like, you know, on a flounder conversation. Um, so yeah, Don was a great guy. He he, he yeah. left us eight years ago, but yeah. he was a great guy. Yeah, he was very funny. He said, "Oh, more with the flounder." And I always remember. I was trying to think of his name. Thanks for reminding me because I he was a great. When you he, said the flounder thing, and that had to have been Don's idol. Yeah, yeah. I have to. Say send you a copy of that interview i'll find it from my archives because oh, he was, i'd love to hear it. me and him had a lot of laughs just working on back of the magazine or whatever and he sent me stuff he goes you're the only person i know to appreciate this story and it was some story about some poor villagers being killed by a leopard and some <laughs> and i'm going well um that's interesting but uh and then you know well there's a there's a good silver line they shot the leopard i mean so he was just that dark humor guy yeah. we had we i loved and miss him he was great what are some of your favorite animals to uh hunt man uh you know i've hunt everything i grew up hunting whitetails and i still do that uh, i love hunting hogs wrote a book about it hog wild uh i probably have hunted waterfowl more than anything and really really love the waterfowl hunt don't do it nearly as much as i used to but i've kind of turned over and starting to do more turkey hunting mm. and uh turkey hunting's a blast man it's so fun and uh you know I, I don't get to hunt nearly as much as i would love to just because of scheduling but what's beautiful is there's a pond a stream an ocean or something almost everywhere i travel mm -hmm. so i can bring a rod and reel and i can go fish so i do tons of fishing and that's been a lot of last year more than ever in my life i've been fishing you know it's it's funny about uh, people like us who are into the outdoors and hunting and fishing it's more than a, a hobby it's a lifestyle it's a mental state my oh, yeah. daughter and i'll laugh because as we take road trips throughout the the country especially driving like south in illinois every time you cross you, you could be on a highway and, and you'll attest to this i'm sure you'd be on a yeah. highway and if you cross and you see a wood patch you say i wonder where their deer bed no, or, no, no. i wrote an article about this yeah or, or did you really or a stream you yeah. pass a stream I and you say i literally wrote an article called what is out there <laughs> that's and, it everywhere you go yeah and I, and and I, and I said the day i stopped driving by and seeing a wood lot i wonder if there's an old buck or a bobcat or something in that wood lot that's it yes i'm done and it's the same thing with fishing i remember going um, uh, fishing uh, last year before the ICAST, the fishing trade show. And we went around Orlando and we were in Miami for a day or two before that, me and my family. And I took a fly rod and I went out on a ditch. I said, I know there's peacock bass somewhere around here. And I ended up standing outside of a landfill, okay, uh, by a landfill, standing on a garbage bag in a ditch, catching <laughs> peacock bass with a fly rod. <laughs> and, and I realized three things out of this, Mike. Number one, I may be a little touched when it comes to this stuff to go where I was at fishing. <laughs> yeah. Number two, 
uh, that there's a lot of biodiversity on the planet. Number three, I got screwed when it come to my ditches at my house. I had a few mud cats. There are peacock bass in the ditches right. down there. So. Yeah, you you got the short end of the stick with uh, catfish instead of peacock bass. Yeah, I got peacock bass, and went to, we went to Orlando in front of the convention center. I got a picture on my wall here, me with a four pound bass. I caught on the fly rod and sent it in front of the convention center in Orlando. So I, you know, I want to uh, come down to Texas and and, and bowfish gar. That's a big thing, man. And yeah. uh, gar are uh, amazing, amazing creatures. I tell you what, though. Yeah, they're great. Uh, Both fishing is cool, but catching them on rod and reel, that is next level challenge and All awesome. Right. So uh, uh, you could do both. And the thing about uh, Jeremy Wade, who did River Monsters, right? Yeah. I interviewed him years ago, and I went and fished the same stretch of river he had fished in Spain for Welsh catfish. And he had fished here in the Trinity River, and he told me out of all the river monsters I'd ever caught, he'd ever caught at that point, the most challenging actually to get was the alligator gar. It wasn't, yeah, that's, they're finicky, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're real, they're weird. I fished one my whole life. I had a gar one time, he was on my line, and was like, he was pecking on it. I knew it was a gar, he was pecking on it for like 20 minutes. And it was just a mullet like six inches long. This is a five foot garfish. And then, see, gar gotta breathe air. They breathe air, mm -hmm. they come up and they roll, they breathe air. And my line went slack, and all of a sudden the guard came up and got a gulp of air. And then about 10 seconds later, <laughs> I started getting a bite again. He left my bait, went up to the top, got a gulp of air, and went back and did it, and I eventually caught him. <laughs> <laughs> They're an amazing animal. The very speck of faith is this cannot be a fluke. You know, that, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of what starts you out. The little tiniest speck, I think, that sends anyone down that path is, well, this can't be a fluke. For example... The gar has no predators. And throughout time, raccoons found that out because as they went to eat the roe, the eggs yeah. from the gar, they would get sick and die. So yeah. Like, how does that happen? You know, it's just. It's, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of how that happened out in nature. I think that's part of the fun thing, man. You're sitting in your bow stand and you're bored. Uh, you know, Lou Marilla, uh, Eric Adams, you know, man of war, he'll sit there and he'll talk to me about, he, he likes to fish, but he says it's boring most of the time. I said, bow hunting is the most boring thing on the planet until a deer shows up. Right. You know, uh, you're sitting in the stand, but then there's that moment where the deer shows up or you watch a ringtail in Central Texas, a beautiful ringtail, climb up out of a hole in an oak tree and you're looking at it, oh my God, that's beautiful. You're you're watching some turkey shut out in the distance and there's always that stimuli. And then something will happen and you go, I didn't know they had those here or mm. how does that happen or you'll watch something small as a bobcat take down a full white-tailed deer and didn't know that that little 30 pound predator could take down a 120 pound one so it's all i think if it was something like that we could figure out we'd all be bored yeah you know so and that's a great thing about it you can tell the best skilled fisherman on the planet okay you go out on this lake catch a catch a largemouth bass and they go out in that lake, they don't even get a bite that day. It's just the next day they catch 200. I mean, it's, it's, I think there's something about it. It's like opening up a Cracker Jack box. You never, yes. you know, there's always a prize in there, but you got to dig through a lot of Cracker Jackers to get it, you know? You got to go through a lot of Cracker Jack. Yeah. Well, you yep. know, I, uh, I definitely have seen things, heard things, watched things occur in the woods that you couldn't, you couldn't write a book about. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to, I'm going to ask for a wild story from you, but I'll give you one. I'm sitting in this fence row on public land in Illinois. It's, it's one of those, you know what? I'm on my way home from work. The bow's in the back seat. I got my yeah. camo in a bag. Let me just, let me go sit, watch the sunset. 
I get way back in this this uh, farm crop land where it's got this broken down fence. I rest right behind the fence because I see a bunch of tracks. I know this must be the trail, and they're going to that corn over there. So I'm going to sit. I'm going to sit next to it on a stump and just next to a tree, and see how still I could be for a while. You you've been there, you know. Oh yeah. And at this was a time when when aluminum arrows were still the uh, the norm. And I yep. had a quiver full of aluminum arrows on the ground and my bow on my lap, and I'm leaning up against this tree. And at one point, I hear this this chattering, and I look down, and there's a mouse chewing on my arrow. What? Yeah, he was chewing the aluminum arrow. <laughs> so I'm, I'm staring at this. And I'm trying not to move because I don't want him to. I don't want him to scurry, you know. And I'm I'm staring out the corner of my eyes, and a cardinal lands on the arrow. And oh wow! S- and they stop, and they're staring at each other, and I'm staring at them, and then they both look up at me, and they both one takes flight, and the other scurries off. But you you couldn't write that script, you know. It was just one of those bizarre things. I had uh, been out in the woods behind my home during the rut the wind started picking up i got out of the tree stand because i was uh, nervous you know and, and and i knew rain was coming so i was gonna head back home shot a squirrel it fell and didn't die because oftentimes they won't squirrel are t- tenacious little boogers ran into a brush pile as i was breaking the brush pile apart to get the squirrel out i hear a snort from behind me i turn around this giant eight point buck probably three feet behind me and wow. uh, those are things you can't, you can't write, you know? No, no way. No way. So, yeah. so give me, give me a wild one. We're going to end on this Chester Moore with us. And uh, here's just something that he's encountered in the woods. So I was 14 years old and before I knew it was illegal to go hunting with my pellet gun on the railroad tracks behind the house, I was hunting with my Sheridan 20 caliber pellet gun for <laughs> rabbits, which I often do in the winter. And, uh, it was a wooded back there. There was some rice fields and some forest. And uh, I'll go back one day, and I kind of kneel down by this levee. And I, and I kind of kneel down right there this one spot because it was getting late, and the rabbits would sometimes walk out on the levee. And I hear gentle touching of leaves to my right. And I look, and about 15 feet away is a full-grown mountain lion. Holy cow. And I'm 14 years old. Uh, I have a Sheridan 20 caliber pellet gun. <laughs> And this cat, it doesn't see me at first. It walks out, but when it got to a little clearing in front of me, in front of the levee, it turned back and looked dead into my soul. And then it jumped the levee and ran off. Well, I ran home like a fool. And believe it or not, my neighbor a block away had a mountain lion for a pet at the time. And I called her and I said, Cher, is your cat loose? I just saw it. She goes, let me go look. She goes, no, I'm looking at her right now. And they had a young cat. Uh, oh. about a year old. And she goes, I said, why? I, said, I just saw a huge mountain lion back behind the railroad tracks, maybe a half mile behind where you live back there. She goes, that must be the male. And I said, what male? She goes, Sandy, their cat went into heat last week and has been a male at nighttime calling back and forth. Mm. And that was so formative for me because it was just like National Geographic came to life in my life. Right <laughs> Isn't that something? And you it just start putting all me, these pieces together. Mind, yeah. And it made me obsessed with wild cats. And I already thought cougars were amazing animals anyway. 
Uh, matter of fact, like a year before that, my mom and dad had bought me a framed picture of a mountain lion for my wall. So it was really a dream come true thing. But it also journalistically, before I ever knew I was going to be a wildlife journalist, taught me that maps don't matter. That what the experts say, there aren't supposed to be cougars in southeast Texas at that time. There was one standing right dead in front of me. And uh, that taught me that I had to do my own investigation, my own searching. I think that was a formative part of me becoming a wildlife journalist. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, wildlife species they move. I mean, look how far, uh, look how far north the armadillos come in, and bobcats, yeah, like bobcats all over the map. Yeah, animals don't look at a map and go, "Well, gee, I can't go into Orange County, Texas, because the experts <laughs> say I'm here. they don't like us there." <laughs> yeah, they don't like us here. We can't cross the boundary, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's amazing the pig thing. I remember driving through Missouri just a couple of years ago and seeing roadkill, people hitting pigs like we would hit raccoons or rabbits around here. Uh, giant hogs on the side of the road. Just it's it's a changing world. And uh, Chester Moore, once again, how can people find out what you do and what you're all about, brother? Well, you can go to HigherCalling.net, and that's my blog. If you forget that address, just remember my name, ChesterMoore.com. You can go to ChesterMoore.com, and you can link out to all of our work through um, either one of those and see all the stuff we have out there. Uh, my podcast, Higher Calling Wildlife, you can listen to that on uh, every kind of podcast media platform. And uh, we appreciate the opportunity to uh, share wildlife conservation. And, Mike, I thank you for the opportunity to come talk with you on your program. It's been awesome. Well, you've always been very kind to me, and uh, I, I've actually used blurbs that you've given me to uh, to sell commercials. <laughs> That's a little, you know, you know how that is. You get the testimonials. Chester Moore says, you know, but uh, no, yeah, oh, listen. Yeah, I've got those in my books and stuff yeah. all over the place. People, yeah. You are, you are definitely a, a, a force to be reckoned with, my friend, and thank you so much. And I do, I do want to have you on again real soon. So God bless you and your wife, your daughter, and yep. all the good work you're doing. Thank you, brother. God bless, man. The Mike Tamano Happening.